0: Shalom and peace, y'all. Welcome to the Reverend Dan and Rabbi Matt podcast, where two Texas clergy from two different faiths talk about everything from interfaith activism to how glasses make Matt look more rabbinical. I'm Reverend Dan.
1: And I'm Rabbi Matt. And this podcast is proof that peace is possible.
0: Welcome to the Reverend Dan, Rabbi Matt podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Reverend Dan. I'm here with my good friend, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. Howdy, everybody. Who's wearing, his, who's wearing his purple for hijab day.
1: I can't. I don't think I look too good in a hijab, so I wore a purple shirt instead.
0: I think you look just fine. Thank huh? you. You don't have your glasses on, though, so.
1: I'm not feeling very rabbinic. <laughs>
0: I almost don't recognize you. So we're going to get this thing started. Trying to figure out how the heck we ended up here in the first place. Yep. Um, how did we? <laughs> so, uh, tell me a little bit about the uh, the path that got you to this wonderful town called College Station, and known as Aguiland here in Texas.
1: It's an interview show now. Okay. Um it So is. I'm Rabbi Matt Rosenberg, and uh, I grew up fairly secular. I uh, had a bar mitzvah at the ripe old age of 13, but I was horribly unprepared for it. And that was probably the uh, one of the few times my family ever went to synagogue. Uh, we were not very observ- observant at all. After college, I ended up working for the American Red Cross doing disaster relief work. And at some point during that, I felt like I need to uh, explore my, my heritage and uh, took a basic introduction to Judaism class and fell in love with the tradition. I felt at that point that there's plenty of people who can work for the Red Cross, but Jews who have skills should uh, serve the Jewish people, and I felt like I need to do that. And uh, I decided I would become a rabbi. So I went, marched into seminary, and uh, said, hi, I want to be a rabbi, and fortunately they didn't kick me out onto the street, but uh, they said gently, you really don't know anything yet, go out and learn and come back when you're ready, so quit the Red Cross, moved to Jerusalem, stayed there for a year, studying Hebrew and got accepted to rabbinical school, spent six years in LA at the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, proud graduate of of that seminary, the conservative seminary Seminary in Los Angeles, and uh, totally planned on being a pulpit rabbi, having a congregation of my own, but during my final year. Some recruiters from Hillel International came and talked about the impact that one could have as a Hillel rabbi working on campus and uh, told me specifically about Texas A&M. And I was intrigued because this is the nation's second or third largest campus with 60,000 undergraduates and uh, the smallest Jewish population in North America percentage-wise and number-wise of any major research institution. So it seemed like a great puzzle that I wanted to try to solve and here I am, and it's been incredibly rewarding and uh, somewhat frustrating, and I think we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, big challenge, big challenge. With the smallest uh, Jewish population in light of the fact that it's the second or third largest college you know, university in the country.
1: Right, yeah. There have been uh, decades of neglect, and uh, it's my job to try to repair that, and I'm excited about what the future of the Jewish community at Texas A&M Holds.
0: And how's that going? Three and a half years
1: later, we're getting there. We're getting there. I think. Uh, I think we're getting real close. We've made some. We've made some strides, and uh, I'm having a couple meetings over the next few days. In fact, that uh, should yield some pro- productive results. Sounds good. How about you? So, how did I get here? The,
0: that's an interesting question. So. Um, there's this notion of a calling, right, right, when it comes to this ministry stuff that we do. So backing up a little bit from that, um, I was uh, finishing up undergrad at uh, University of Texas in Austin, that other school yes. down the way. I know, I know, Jeez, But uh, hook them. So I was, I was finishing up there, and I was going to get into public relations journalism, which at the time had like a... unemployment rate across the country and Mm. had a firm that I was going to be working for and all this good stuff. But, um, it was not fulfilling in the slightest. Um, and I guess similar to what you're talking about with Red Cross, whereas Red Cross is fantastic work though. Um, I just didn't feel like this, this was something that many people could do that, but it just wasn't what I needed to be doing. It's gotta be something different. And, um, At the time, I was volunteering a lot at the church where I grew up, and uh, the youth minister at that time had um, stepped down kind of abruptly, and they were wondering who's going to step up and Mm -hmm. and help out with the youth department. And I just remembered that my experience growing up in the church was incredible, and so with the shoe on the other foot, I was going, how are they not going to have this experience that I had? and after doing all this volunteerism that's when my cup started getting filled you know mm-hmm. so from there seminary went to uh bright divinity school TCU in fort worth yeah. uh, started uh serving a, uh, another baptist congregation in austin mm-hmm. and from there it came here uh, <laughs> so it wasn't just a it wasn't just going from The Baptist Church to the United Church of Christ, that's the denomination that I serve here. It was just going from a different culture, Um, Austin to College Station, which people outside of Texas and even outside of this part of Texas might not understand how that's a big culture shock, but um, it's pretty huge. And 11 years later of, of living and serving in this community, I still recognize the... The blatant differences between the communities, but I love it.
1: Right, it's great. It's it fantastic is. living in College Station. It is. It's a wonderful city, and uh, you know, I made the transition directly from Los Angeles to College Station, yeah. where I had a vibrant Jewish community there, and now to come here where it's well. And talk about culture shock—the small and, and the culture shock. And I, I feel like I'm still Uh But you kind of knew what you were—you knew of College Station. I knew you of knew, it. You knew Austin wasn't College Station. But
0: what is the expression that students say about you don't understand it from the outside right. looking in, you can't explain it from the inside looking out with this you know, kind of bubble mentality of College Station? Right. And, and of course, uh, T-SIPS, as they call people who go to UT, like me, uh, just scoff at a and stereotypically. So, yeah, there's like a perception of College Station and Texas A&M. That's uh, an unfortunate one because right. it's not true. To it's what, not true, and we're finding
1: right. we're finding out that is not true. And there's a lot of allies on campus and within the community, and yeah, it's been an amazing process since we started working together and fighting for social justice here in the Brazos Valley.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and, and I mean, with the stereotype though, what I was getting at is more of uh, you know just this. Um, Looking down at Texas A and M because right. UT came first, and those kinds of just no, silly Atlanta rivalry kind of things. So there's that 1876, yeah. So then you get, so then you get here, um, and you find from the inside uh, looking out that there's this projected stereotype right. onto. College Station in Texas A and M that it is is minded and not inclusive and that nothing could be further from the truth.
1: Right, and that's totally a perception that I'm battling. Um, that you know Jews in Texas tend not to come to Texas A and M unless they have visited campus or have relatives who oh, come okay. to campus because parents and grandparents still see A and M as an all male all male military academy, which it hasn't been since 1964, mm-hmm. and now it's at the point where it's almost fifty fifty male female. And uh, you know, while advertising around the state often features ROTC cadets on those billboards every time I'm driving outside of town, uh, the core only represents about 5% of the campus, and it's, it's an amazing organization, but mm-hmm. this is not your grandparents' Texas A&M by any stretch of the imagination. That's, that's the message I try to get out there into, the, into Texas.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and and that brings us to how you and I met in the first place, mm-hmm. was uh, serving on a panel at uh, All Faiths Chapel right. on campus, um, which we were talking about earlier, is, you know, striving to be even more inclusive of other faiths, whereas before it was jokingly referred to as All Faiths Christian Chapel, mm-hmm. it's much more inclusive, much more interfaith, and we were there for a panel for, I believe it was coming out week. Um talking about how uh, Christianity and Judaism, and there was someone from the Unitarian Universalist Church and mm-hmm. someone from the Catholic Church, how our faiths actually instruct us to um, not just be this cliched loving, but this right. intentionally inclusive loving, the steadfast love mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, toward the LGBTQ community um, and there weren't a whole lot of people that attended that at the time. right? But I think if that, at, at, with everything that's happening... If that would happen
1: have happened now? Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, that, yeah. It would have been packed.
1: Absolutely. So much has changed. And I think that was my first opportunity to speak on, on an issue like that since coming to campus. I think it was within oh, really? my first year. And I really was appreciative of the invitation by the LGBT Center to do that. And then from there, we were involved with... Other events, uh, albeit often tragic, such as the vigil at your church for the Charleston shooting, and then almost exactly a year later for Orlando, and uh, then this summer we uh, we joined together and uh, had like kind of it was a uh, it was covering all types of all types of things that were going on this summer. We had the mm-hmm. mosque the mosque shooting during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, there was police violence going on, so it was kind of in support of our. Muslim friends and brethren, as well as in support of police, but also Black Lives Matter. It was kind of this interesting agglomeration of all types of social issues. Mm-hmm. Really the first kind of protest like that, right at the corner of Texas and George Bush, major intersection. Yeah, And, uh, and since then, there have been a, a bunch of other things. We had Richard Spencer on campus. We had um, the Women's Day March. We've had the executive order that was signed last Friday.
0: Yeah, that whole thing. So that's another interesting thing about our community that I've grown to love more and more is it's tough to articulate. But Mm -hmm. if um, there's the macro level and the micro level and on the macro level, you know, talking about the um, police brutality and things like this, it's very easy to say black lives matter blue lives matter right. and have these kinds of uh, there's absolutes where people are against each other mm-hmm. at every front but then right. in our community I, I i see how it is that the police and the community interact exactly. far more um and and every time that i've been to events in our community. Um, with African-American congregations, mm-hmm. you know, most recently with a, a Jubilee celebration that the NAACP did at a Baptist church. There's prayers that are intentionally for
1: uh, police. Right. Saying, Tremendous. You know, we're thankful for our public servants. Tremendous and, support. And you had the yeah. assistant police chief at the uh, response to Orlando at your church. Yes. Yeah, exactly. She spoke and just great relationship with law enforcement
0: there is but and so black lives matter um exists right alongside that. Right. um so it's it's not the stereotype that uh is so easy to sell and to pit us against each other um and the other thing that i find interesting is with this heightened islamophobia mm-hmm. fear of our muslim neighbors going on in the country especially since the executive order from the other day, um, that's another one where people just assume that uh, in more conservative environments that people are going to hate Muslims. Right. Well, College Station is a highly conservative environment. I mean, it's pretty tough to argue against that. Uh, yet the mosque in our community, when somebody does something stupid by driving by it and 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 uh, taking a shot at it. When news gets out the next day, right. there's an outpour from the community with everybody standing guard around the mosque in the middle of the day on yeah. a in, in June,
1: on right. a hot summer day, guarding for the Friday prayers.
0: Right. Point being that uh, even if even if let's say uh, someone were to not understand muslims i don't know muslims i don't understand them i don't want to have anything to do with them they would say uh they would also say but nobody messes with the with exactly. my neighbors yeah right there's that sense of great. there's a traditionalism here that you don't you don't mess with people no matter
1: their walk of life yeah very strong sense of community and support right. for for the other even mm-hmm. it's really heartwarming to see
0: it is so, uh, I guess that's our little PSA for uh the Brazos Valley, Aggie. Exactly. Van. Bryan College Station. So so why are we here? Come visit us. So yeah, but I mean Why, th-
1: why the podcast? The
0: the pod the podcast, getting back to Doe, is um us trying to be more proactive instead of reactive. So much of what we've done, Matt, and getting to know each other and working together has been in response to all these atrocities that happen
1: right and uh you know i think uh, in the coming months we'll we'll invite guests to, to talk as well and uh we'll deal with the issues of the day that we're thinking about here in the area and uh you know, there's so much going on in the world right now and uh i feel like i don't even know where where to begin to discussing contemporary issues um uh, what's been going on even over the last few days, especially since January 20th and and since the election and even prior. So I was realizing that I wasn't here in town for the uh, Solidarity March on campus with uh, our Muslim friends on Monday night, but I was in Dallas and uh, got to go to a candlelight vigil there and realizing it was the, the fourth fourth event like that that I've been to since the summer. We had that big summer get-together, and uh, then we had Richard Spencer, and then I participated in the the Women's March, which was hastily organized here, but really, really well attended uh, on campus because my thought was anyone who's anyone is going to the march in Austin, and certainly that was huge, but it made me realize that we always need to have a local representation for any kind of major march that's going on, even if there's something going on in Houston, Austin, Dallas, uh, that we need to do it as well. And so looking forward to the uh, scientists' march on Washington. We'll do a local thing as well. They just announced the date, April 22nd. And uh, April 15th, I think, the Tax Day March will also happen here. And I, uh, I have a bullhorn, and I'm ready to use it. Sounds good. Sounds perfect. So
0: something else about our community that's uh, kind of peculiar with uh, texas a&m being here uh second and third largest university in the country it's a transient community a lot of turnaround right and i don't know about you but even after three and a half years of you living here i bet that you've had to say goodbye to some a lot of people that are near and dear to
1: you i have and uh, i think it's i don't know if it's an exception for the jewish community but it feels like within the jewish community there's quite a quite a high bit of turnaround um i uh you know, as a as a campus rabbi too i have students who are graduating so every year i lose a a wonderful crop of students who i've grown to know and love and that's that's tough but it's it is more challenging when when the grown ups leave as well yeah yeah and that's what i'll
0: never get used to is with my background uh, being you know growing up in austin and i was fourth generation right. in a baptist church where everybody watches their the families around them grow up, uh, you don't have any familiarity with saying goodbye. in fact, that's peculiar if somebody leaves it's wh- where's Major that person man. going? Right. why where are they going um, and then here it's every semester exactly you say goodbye to not just students but people who have uh, you know taking jobs elsewhere, the postdoc is done right what have you. Um, and I just never get used to it. So to be able to have a friend um, who is here for longer than just a couple of years is a true gift, mm-hmm. a blessing, we'll call it. And so you know, for you and me, Matt, to be able to just develop friendship and, and to talk about things, uh, anything from what's happening in our backyard to what's happening across our country and around the world... Uh, has it, it been a treasure for me, and so again, as opposed to just getting together for um, with the next mass shooting, right, or uh, the next um, hate speaker to come to campus, uh, we just thought it'd be a good idea for us to get together and kind of just share our conversations and see if it might kindle some hope in other people, generate some friendships for other people.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I feel like we have this. Uh, growing interest in some social justice issues in, in the community and there's you know that's just starting to get organized and yeah. have, a, have a good structure to to create the change in the community that we want to see um, you know one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was uh, meet with the, the mayor-elect right before the election and talk to him about my concerns for uh, this college station was rated as one of the worst cities. Uh, by Human Rights Watch for the LGBT mm-hmm. protections for the community, and uh, f- I found the report and took it to to the mayor-elect, and we had a nice conversation. You know, for instance, College Station doesn't have a human rights commission, which is just so easy for a city to pull together and have a have a committee that looks out for the rights of its citizens and make sure that laws are not discriminatory and to pass laws that. Provide protections for not only LGBT community but other communities at risk, and um, you know I know that's being looked into now at the city level, which is great. And you know it doesn't take much to—it's a small town, and it's really about the relationships and the relationships we have, and those who are listening and want to help us out and work together in in creating the community that that we want to live in.
0: So, do you feel like uh, when it comes to doing? That kind of advocacy and that kind of work uh, that you're on your own? Or do you feel like Texas A&M Hillel uh, is supportive in the work that you do? I mean, with the students, with the donors? Yeah, I think
1: donors. both my students and my board and donors are, are supportive of the work I'm doing. Uh, it's, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with creating a, a vibrant Jewish community. If, yeah. we had a, if we had a larger Jewish community, population we'd have a lot more jewish advocate, uh activists on campus mm-hmm. as well uh involved with involved with lots of uh left leaning groups probably and uh, there'd be a lot more of that if if the population was was more appropriate you know the jewish population in most major research institutions is about 10% and again we're 0.5% so mm. about 20 times under underrepresented where we should be Okay and, uh, it's my goal before retirement. To, if we can just get to two percent, that would be that'd be amazing. 1200 Jews on campus would be nine day. So you heard the rabbi Jewish students come to Texas saying exactly. Uh,
0: we don't have 35 coming through our town, so it's not the place that you uh,
1: take interstate 45. right right. do that Dallas. instead. Do that instead. Much come see traffic.
0: us. Come see us. It's fantastic. Um, so the church that I serve, uh, Friends Congregational Church. Is a United Church of Christ congregation, and um, uh, in a in a far different sense, is a little bit uh, under. There's 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 not a whole lot of people who know about the United Church of Christ in this neck of the woods. The UCC, right. um, and given the name of our church, Friends Congregational, it's mm-hmm. confused on the one hand as being a Quaker community, and on the other hand with the denomination uh, being the United Church of Christ as the denomination being the Church of Christ. Right. Which yeah, it is not.
1: I, when I first heard about it, I thought evangelical.
0: Right. Right, exactly. And so we we constantly are, are explaining that, but uh, even still, it's, um, it's a, a vibrant denomination in other parts of the country just around here, not so much so. Mm -hmm. But our identity is, for example, it's an open and affirming congregation. So back to some of the things we were talking about before, trying to emphasize inclusiveness um, specifically to um, our LGBTQ neighbors. But uh, one gesture of intentional welcome leads to another. Mm -hmm. And we find that being open and affirming isn't for any Um, one particular group of people, but that it leads to more and more and more walks of life that are, um, that are marginalized. And I don't want to say voiceless. You hear that a lot, but I don't believe that, uh, that anyone is voiceless. I just believe that many people don't have an audience and that for us, it's kind of, that's part of our work is being able to shift the audience and say, we have things to say over here, we have things to say over there, listen.
1: Yeah, I think there's also a lack of uh, community organizing, That, uh, but I see that starting to develop within the community, where you know, I think I'm a member of half a dozen different Facebook groups that are all aligned in terms of their work on activism within the area. And uh, you know, I feel like, I was thinking about it yesterday, that you know, these these groups need to get together. Why do we have so many different groups doing the same thing with the same people posting on each group or similar people posting on each group that right right some kind of alliance yeah that would be good together you have holy writ out i do well yes i mean we're we're a rabbi and a pastor true enough and uh you know we should
0: yeah my bible's in the glove compartment so tell me what you got
1: so you know i opened up uh to exodus chapter 22 verse 20 uh i've been thinking about this verse a lot. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for your strangers in the land of egypt and you know, obviously i'm thinking about this a lot in in light of the uh, executive order that was passed and what 's been going on so I, I went to Dallas on Sunday for a fundraising trip up there. And part of my job as the executive director is to raise the money to to make Hillel go go and you know Hillel isn't affiliated with any denomination it's kind of a, I call it an umbrella organization we uh, work with jews on in every denomination i happen to be a conservative rabbi but most of our jews who come come here are either reformed jews or fairly secular but um so i went on a fundraising trip to dallas and you know i after shabbat on saturday night after the sabbath uh, i saw that there were all these protests going on at different airports around the country and i knew the one was going on at dallas fort worth late into the night on saturday and um Going up there on Sunday, I I messaged some friends who lived in the area and wanted to find out if on Sunday night or or Monday there would be something else at the airport and found out that there would be a candlelight vigil in Dallas on Monday night that I was able to attend. And it was just a really beautiful coming together. They have this part of downtown that's called Thanksgiving Square that has an all-faiths chapel within the center, and there's a committee that regularly plans interfaith activities there, which is phenomenal. And... uh, so you know i've I've been thinking about the executive order a lot, and uh you know this this quote, "You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for your strangers in the land of Egypt for us as Jews, and almost every Jewish organization has come out against the executive order, right especially in terms of refugees and bringing in refugees into the country it's uh it's really it's It's quite shocking what's happened and sad, and uh you know, if if my great-grandparents hadn't been allowed as refugees in the 1920s, then I, I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't and, be sitting here. Right, right, exactly. They were all, they all all of my great-grandparents escaped pogroms in, mm-hmm. in the Western Russia, Poland area, uh, the Pale Settlement, the only area of Russia where Jews were allowed to live. And uh, pogroms were happening, you know, violent attacks against Jews. And all of my great-grandparents left at a very young age. They were sent by their families to come, to America um, in their teens, and the rest of the families remained behind. I don't know what happened to them, but I have to presume that most of my extended family in, in that area all were killed in the Holocaust, uh, but thankfully my, my great-grandparents and some of their siblings were, were sent out and uh, made it to America as refugees, fleeing from persecution. Every picture I see of Syria, every... Article I read about Syria. It uh, it reminds me of my great grandparents and how America was welcoming, and I want America to be welcoming to Syrians and others who are fleeing persecution. It's it's devastating. So
0: this might be something that we have to get into in, in our next
1: podcast. I'm sure we'll have lots of podcasts. About.
0: But uh, the the notion of empathy. I mean, what is what is what has happened that we see all of these images? I think of. I think of um, uh, the civil rights movement when uh, people in Birmingham, Alabama were marching, many of them, uh, youth and children, with dogs and, and fire hoses turned on them. Right. And it was the images that broke people's hearts and made people repent right. and for change to start happening. We have images of a tr- horrible things happening to Syrian refugees with, and specifically with children right with a with a child washed up on the on the on the exactly. beach in turkey um with uh Omran Daknish, the boy that was pulled from the um rubble in Aleppo mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth yet uh we still it, it will just gloss over the fact that this executive order is making these matters even worse so we don't know exactly when this podcast is going to get out there so just to you know bring us into context that executive order is the one that's protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the united states that's what it's called is what it's called right um not as the president would say a muslim ban which clearly is what it is if the order bans travelers um from seven muslim majority countries um iraq iran libya somalia sudan syria yemen Um, can't come into the country for 90 days. And it also bans, of course, refugee admissions for 120 days and Syrian refugee admissions indefinitely. Um, And from from a Christian perspective, there's a couple of things I wanted to share is that if you go to ucc.org, the The denominations page has they they have a website they have a whole page that's devoted to passages from the Bible that mm-hmm. refer to immigrants and refugees and I, I'm I'm sitting here looking at pages and pages and pages of them and um, but even without an, an exhaustive list
1: mm-hmm.
0: as if we need proof uh, in some exhaustive list to get us to uh, show hospitality what jumps to mind for me is the, the gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, if you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. Um, if right. you welcome any of these, any of the least of these who are members of my family, you welcome me. And where is the cognitive dis- dissonance? Where is the disconnect? Where is the lack of empathy that keeps uh, people of faith, specifically from a Christian perspective, from looking at um, our Syrian refugee neighbor as, and not seeing Christ and and not seeing that that very stranger that Jesus is talking about.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, this morning I read an article in the Houston Chronicle about a Jordanian high school student who's been uh, detained for three days. He's not, his, Jordan is not one of the countries listed, and he has a visa to study in the United States, and uh, he's been transported from, he was captured at IAH, or detained at IAH in Houston, and uh, now taken to chicago uh where they have a juvenile detention facility for people like him i guess and i don't know what happened i don't know no one knows yet no one's been able to communicate with him he was tired after a long journey from jordan back to houston and maybe answered questions poorly and was just detained as part of normal routine detainment but there's so many stories like this oh yeah it's 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 so sad, and
0: but and the but the reminder for us in, in getting back to everything that we're talking about with community building is that these stories are are here among us. That they're, they're, that you don't need to go to to the media to to comb through all of the shock and awe to find the the hopeful story. Um, you go into your community and get to know people. Um, just the other night when. Um, we gathered at the mosque in a show of support and solidarity uh, to get to know our neighbors, I had a conversation with someone there who um, was sharing with me the fact that they have a master's degree, looking forward to graduating with that here in May. Um, we're hoping to go back to Iran and have health care and, mm-hmm. and dental care because it's much cheaper there. sure. Uh, because he's not able to get that here uh, with the cost. That'll be another podcast episode, right? Exactly, <laughs> and, and and to see his family, of course, yeah. before returning here and um, um, beginning a PhD program and pursuing the rest of the vocation that he's yeah. really passionate about. But now he says all of that's worthless. Right. And if I were to go back now, there's no there's no chance for me to be able to come back. Mm-mm. And I'm sitting and talking with this person, and he's not shaking. He's not crying. He's stating this to me matter-of-factly. This is just the reality. And we need to be able to hear this from, as I was saying before, those who have voice but no audience. Mm -hmm. Not enough of an audience. So,
1: anyway. And the latest figures I've heard, there's at least uh, 200 students and faculty at Texas A&M who are impacted by this ban who, if they're in Texas or in the United States, need to stay here and can't go back home, lest they not be allowed to return. And hopefully, very few of them are out traveling and can't back can't get back to the United States. It's, President Young issued a, a statement that was a, not the strongest among university presidents, but a positive message in the saying that the university would support support people who are covered by visa student visas and who are faculty teaching and provide ways for them to get support and saying the university would support them in their efforts and that was that was welcome um hillel as a movement uh, has been sending letters to our university presidents either in support of the statements they've made and we issued one of those and in the case of universities where presidents haven't made statements calling upon the presidents to to make statements and that's uh it's been it's been a nationwide movement that's very powerful and has been pretty awesome So this is just the beginning. It is. And
0: and everything that we're uh, talking about today, um, we're hoping that this can continue, this trajectory of community building and sharing ideas and moving toward places of hope and promise and justice and away from these things that continue to keep us down. I know that a lot of what we've talked about today has been kind of a downer, but uh, this is the reality that we need to be able to talk about. Um, so that we can find solutions. And um, so we're excited about this possibility with this podcast. We have a website that we're getting underway that we'd love for you to check out. It's um, www.revdanandrabbimat.com. So go there and check it out.
1: It's a work in progress. And we have a Facebook page with the same name, um, Reverend Dan and Rabbi Matt. Write it all out. No ampersand in there. And uh, we'll be sharing our thoughts and sharing our podcasts. And please connect with us through Facebook and message us. You're not alone, and uh, we're not alone, and we're in this together. And uh, we're here to support one another and come together and work for, work for change for the better.
0: In the meantime, you can follow Rabbi Matt on Instagram where you can see pictures of his kosher food that he picks up from Dallas,
1: which is That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Rabbi Matt R., at, on Instagram and on Twitter. <laughs> and what are your handles, Reverend Dan?
0: For, for Instagram? I don't know. you
1: need to to consolidate I'll I'll get on that next time
0: I'll have to build up some uh, good images to share in the meantime Um, so with that thank you for listening and we're looking forward to sharing more with you and as Matt was uh, Rabbi Matt was saying at the beginning uh, hoping to have some other folks on the podcast with us so let's keep uh, listening let's keep uh, building community together take care peace
1: Shalom